Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast. It's me, PB, hosting for you again today. And we're very mindful. We haven't spoken to you since the resumption of the Premier League. So we firstly apologise for taking the festive break very festively. And um, I'm joined once again by Pat, who who also had illness, which contributed to our delay. But it means we've got a lot to talk about today, Pat, doesn't it? A lot's happened. A lot has happened. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was I was quite sick with the flu that turned into some sort of chest infection. So apologies if you hear me coughing at any point. And just when we needed JB to turn up for the first time in a year, he uh, it's went, a rem- went it's on like, another holiday, I think. Do you remember when Party came back from AFCON and wanted to play 48 hours later in the mm. semi-final? And got the, sent off. And got sent off. It's very much that kind of vibe, isn't it? Yeah, spot on. Spot on. We'll get him back one day, I'm sure. But plenty for us to talk about. Today, before I get started, I don't want to forget um, exciting news that we are, we're launching a weekly newsletter to go alongside the the podcast that you're listening to. Don't worry, we're not we're not scrapping the podcast for a newsletter. So if it's not your thing, you can still listen to us. But we're going to be supplementing it with with a newsletter, which includes something which I've been very excited about, and uh, I've been we've got a group chat for the podcast. I've been working with Pat and the other hosts who never never hosts um on this algorithm to to work out what we call power rankings which some of you have maybe not heard a lot about but others it may be your thing um which traditionally they've done for a lot of American sports but also sort of footballers across the league or across the whole of Europe but what we're looking at and what we're going to report on weekly in this newsletter amongst uh, lots of other things in the free newsletter um, is sort of the power rankings of Arsenal players and how sort of each game that fluctuates and people move up and down the rankings, etc. So really interesting. I, I've sort of tweeted out the top 10 on my profile at Ollie Price Bates. You can have a look at that and that links you to the the newsletter where you can sign up for free. The first one will be going out um, later this week. So make sure you're signed up for that. Um, you can find us at fresharsenal.substack.com. So definitely check that out. On to the football then. Um, very conscious that we've we finally podcasted two exhilarating performances, 3-1 and 
four two. So in the end, four two. And we've decided to finally podcast after a nil now. However, let's rewind a little bit, Pat, because there's two really good performances that I want to just make sure we talk about because it's quite good, really, I think, maybe that we we've had this little break, because had we just talked about the Newcastle game, we maybe would have been overly frustrated. I think we were all quite frustrated on on Twitter last night anyway. I maybe said one too many bad things about Newcastle, so I, I apologise to them as a club. Um, <laughs> but, you know, seven points, considering the position we went into at Christmas, seven points from three games. Yes, two of them were at home, but, you know, some high-quality opposition in there in Brighton and, and Newcastle. That's got to be an overwhelming success, don't you think? Seven points from those three games, Pat. Yeah, I think that's a really good. Um, I think it's a really good haul. Um, and if we'd drawn at Brighton and beaten Newcastle, I think we'd be feeling better. But um, I think the draw coming against Newcastle and then having Spurs and United back to back makes it feel a bit worse. But then, look, everyone's got really fi- hard fixtures, right? Spurs have got. Uh, us city twice city have got chelsea united spurs twice and us so it's coming to that point where everyone's got really hard fixtures isn't it so um i'm not really too worried i think if we can if we can get four points from the next two um that would be a really really good haul from those first five games um yeah but and i, I think, think if you said to me we only get three i wouldn't be angry um, a little bit dissatisfied, but still, even even I 10 guess, points from 15 is not yeah. awful, is it? And I guess it depends what we're going for. I mean, we're very much in the title race because of what's happened and probably unexpected. I mean, even if the unexpected result, of course, I'm talking about was Everton drawing at Man City. Say they'd, say they'd won that game. Um, I know we'd be top, but if City beat Chelsea um, tomorrow, I think it is. Um, you know, there'd only be a couple of points behind it and we'd feel like, I think, that the title definitely isn't a thought. And I know probably last time we spoke, we still didn't really talk about the title. But after that night, New Year's Eve, maybe it's because I'd, I'd had a lot to drink, but it was the first time I really thought, OK, this could be on following the following the Man City result. And and I still don't see us as favourites. And I wrote about that in, in uh, our feature for... BBC this week. I, I don't see how you can see Arsenal's favourites with this many games left and and the quality and experience that Man City have. But we were undeniably in the race after that Brighton game, weren't we? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, for the second, oh, third time actually, City dropped points and we'd gone second, right? Uh, or oh, no, second time, Wolves and then Brighton. We played after them, yeah. Yeah, played after them. And the Wolves one was done with such you know, it was so professional and we never looked really flustered and maybe we weren't at our peak attacking wise, but you know, get two goals from Odegaard and it's, it's job done. You go home and similarly here, like we were as kind of resolute and looked in control, but the attacking flair was, was up a notch, wasn't it? We just looked like we could, honestly, I I, I was, <laughs> I was watching it with my um, housemate. And my girlfriend was also there and they were like, why are you so angry? It's minute four and you haven't scored a second big, big whoop. And I was like, yeah, but like you've got Zinchenko and Martinelli who are like 
right in front of the goalkeeper. You've got you've got to punish teams at this point. And it did feel like one of those games where you could have just scored like four or five goals in this first 10, 15 minutes. But um, in the end, we did get four, but it was uh, a bit more chaotic than it should have been. But two, honestly, two really good results. I mean, if you say contextually, um, being 1-0 down at home mm. at halftime to West Ham, who, you know, looking at the underlying metrics have been quite unlucky this season and should be where they are and are still an annoying team to play against. They they got a draw at home to, to Spurs, didn't they? Um, and I'm sure they'll... And they looked really good at Anfield as well. Uh, they should have got something out of that game as well. So West Ham are never easy an easy game, especially 1-0 down. So it was really good to see us um, come back from that. And then, yeah, the Brighton game was really impressive. Um, Newcastle game less so but I think we can cut them some slack after three games in seven days or whatever yeah I mean if we'd beaten Newcastle and drawn at Brighton especially after City had drawn at home to Everton I think we'd be looking at that seven points even even better wouldn't we because you know Brighton is a place not just where we go and, and don't win. They they tend to do very well against us at the Emirates as well, one of the very few teams who do. But, you know, to get over that, score those early goals, be convincing, you know, very convincing apart from the last half an hour, um, it's fair to say. But, yeah, that was a big result and big performance for us, I think, as a team. I mean, looking at the table, Brighton are only three points behind fifth. So, you know, they're, they're a serious team. Uh, especially away from home to yeah, and they went to and, and battered Everton the next game, didn't they? Scored four there. So who drew with City? So essentially, <laughs> what we're, we're six is... goals better than Man City. And we're going to yeah. beat them six now. But yeah, I mean, lots of positive stuff from those two games. Uh, and Ketia obviously coming in for Jesus. Uh, no real other options on the bench. Luckily, in those first two games, we didn't need need it um all three all of the front three scoring wasn't it and Erdegaard as well in the mm. in the Brighton game so really promising what we saw in the Newcastle game I guess was a bit of um maybe lethargy in the, in the front three I mean we've asked them to do a lot those three games have fallen in seven eight days um and we've literally asked those three to be playing 90 minutes of every game so I tweeted the day before the Newcastle game that that was my big worry that our front three wouldn't have 90 minutes in them of, of difference making um, quality. And I think we saw a great burst from Arsenal at the start where it felt like on reflection now that we, we really needed to get that goal. Um, I think we wobbled in the sort of second half of that first half. And I was slightly worried even that Newcastle were maybe getting slightly on top. Um, but in the second half, we really saw Newcastle retreat and and very, I think the, the real positive from this game that I'm taking is Eddie Howe is very clear that Newcastle had no intention to to sit back in this game. Their intention at the start, I don't know if you've seen his post-match interview, Pat, but he, he said their intention was to come and attack us. Um, oh, really? Which is very interesting. And, and Arteta said similar that, Arteta was asked, you know, how do you feel about teams coming and, and sitting back like this? And he said, I don't think they intended to. Uh, and, you know, well, Eddie he, Howe... He said something else as well. He said, um, I've never seen Newcastle play against a team like this, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, on the one side, we've got to take that as a real positive that we're forcing teams into this situation. On another, from another side, 
every team that comes to the Emirates, at least, is going to try and follow this blueprint and we're going to need to find ways to to unlock it. I mean, it was a bit of a perfect storm last night in that, you know, the weather wasn't wasn't fantastic. The refereeing was far from ideal, um, you know, breaking up the game so often, even standing in the way of passing lanes a lot of the time, mm. sort of jumping over the ball at least four or five times in the game which was crazy and uh, honestly i said that i was sitting in the north bank and i could see i literally screamed at one i was in club level as well um and uh i literally screamed get out the rave ref and i got loads of really weird looks like what are you on about and in my head i was like he's just literally just sat in front of jacker and he sat in, in between mm-hmm. jacker and party it was it was he lost control of the game completely basically and yeah um, and i think he let trippier Ref yeah. that game. Trippier was in his ear the whole game. He on, he let Joel Linton go down seven times in the game. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think as as well as Newcastle defended for the most part, they still rode their luck. I mean, our finishing we didn't have like big clear cut chances, but we had openings that we've scored in the games like Brighton. You know, the Erdegaard's goal against Brighton, he had very similar openings in this game where where he didn't connect properly um there was a Saka chance in the first half as well and you know a very clear penalty for me I don't want to talk too much on it and I'll, I'll say the the handball that we we appealed for at the end I I think would be extremely harsh and I think <clears throat> Arteta saying I thought that as well but there is one angle where he moves his arm like the one that's like from behind. And this was actually the angle that I had, which is why I was so certain it was a handball because the ball goes across and he like moves his arm toward the ball kind of, and the arm's still moving even after the ball was gone. And mm. I mean, look, I, I, I wouldn't have been shocked to see that given. And What I think is, I think if they give it, he they may not have overturned it. And, I, and I'm surprised he's not given it because when you watch it back, I know home fans are going to do this, but every single person in that stadium jumps yeah. and appeals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single player appeals. And normally for a referee, if you've not got a clear view, that level of appeal gives you a decent idea. Well, just just look at what happened at, um, last time out at the Emirates, right? Odegaard hits that ball. It looks like a handball, but it hits, it head, hits his head. I, I honestly don't know why refs don't feel more confident in like he was there he saw the he saw the action yeah yeah as i said i was sitting right behind it and if you give it and it's completely wrong var is going to overturn it so i just i I worry yeah go on sorry no i just i just think the refereeing is it might be particular refs that do it but i think the the crutch of var being there makes him think i'm not going to give it Mm. If it's clearly hit his arm, they'll give it anyway. But, you know, they need to make the decision on what they feel in the game. But I don't really have a problem with it because in in real time, I don't think he stuck his hand out. I think He doesn't stick it out. No. And your hands have got to be somewhere. And in real time, Xhaka hits that ball very hard and he's not I far away from it. I think if that's a shot at goal... There's no way they can't give it as a handball. Mm. I think because it's a cross, I think they maybe feel like, do we want the game to be 
decided by someone crossing a ball and it being like a a borderline handball because if you put mm. like gun to head to me i think it's a handball but i don't think it's like really clear but the fact that it's from a cross rather than a shot i think if, if that's a shot and it's on target and that's stopped by a hand in that motion it's Maybe. there's no way it's not a handball no way i i i always flip it the other way if if that hits ben white if ben white does that exact thing in the last minute of a game i would be angry if that's given mm. i mean definitely now because we didn't get the exact same thing but yeah, I think I think that could have gone either way. As I say, I think if the ref gave it, I think they would have struggled to overturn it because there was nothing different to what he saw that they would have seen in VAR. But and I'm surprised he didn't. Um, I think unfortunately, you know, if that happens at Newcastle and all the fans stand up, I think they they probably do give it. But I think the the Dan Burn pull on on Gabriel is is one of the clearest penalties you'll see. It's just um, mental, isn't it? And he's got a very decent chance of getting to that ball as well. It's not just the pull that's happening sort of out of sight. Um, when you think about the Azpilicueta on Saka that was given, I mean, this was this was more than that for sure. Some Newcastle fans I've seen have been saying that um, it wasn't a free kick that would have led to it. Like the, the foul on um, Saka wasn't a free kick. But I know I've seen one angle. It looks like he kind of trips him and then kicks the ball so you know it's probably a free kick but i just don't i did did VAR maybe that's why var didn't do it you know did, did I, VAR I, didn't even look did, did they, they even look at it they did because to be honest in real time um on the tv you quite often see players go down um in those situations and you, and you don't not necessarily paying attention to what's happened so i didn't think much of it um it played on for quite some time i don't think the ball went out for a while did gabriel appeal much for it he yeah he he did but the game um, pope had got the ball in his hands and the game carried on so it wasn't really time you know it's not like the ball went out of play and everyone could appeal um and the ball stayed in play for quite some time and they did say on sky sports they're having a good luck at this and showed us it oh that's crazy. and i thought Honestly, okay wow. well we're going to be wow. getting the penalty then. Once what I minute saw was it. that again? Uh, was it fifty something? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the it didn't just it just didn't quite roll our way this game. Like, you know, first four minutes, Odegaard has that chance. He skies it over. Like I've not seen him take a shot that bad all season. Um, Saka goes around the back, shoots. They have a few fouls that aren't yellow cards. Honestly, first 50 minutes, it looked like we were going to smash them, right? Um, and they started mm. making the game very bitty. And they... Yeah, they worked the ref really well. I just don't understand some of the some of the yellow cards he gave. Like, the, the one on Ketia at the halfway line is just crazy, considering he doesn't give one to Dan yeah. Byrne or whoever else it is. I mean, it all came... There was a similar situation in the Brighton game with yellow cards where... He gave, I think yesterday he gave two Newcastle oh, players. Oh yeah, yeah, same thing. Same cards, thing, yeah. yeah, in a minute. Um, but I think those first two cards was a was a, a sort of orange card from Wilson on Saliba. Mm. That was a very bad challenge. So that's very clearly a yellow. It's not like a soft yellow that he then f should feel he needs to give a soft yellow to Arsenal. That is, that's a very clear, um, strong yellow card. And then I think Bruno's. 
Um, I can't quite remember, but it seemed fairly fair to give him a yellow. Maybe he could have just given him a warning. And then he just gave two yellow cards to to Arsenal for nothing. And by half time, we had more yellow cards than them, which was which was ridiculous. Just but crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I think Arsenal still. We've got to somehow learn how to manage those situations a bit better because, as I say, it happened in the Brighton game as well. We managed to get the right people getting cards yesterday, but it could have easily led to suspensions. And and by that, what I mean for people who don't know is we've got some players who are on four yellow cards. Um, if you get a fifth before 19 games, you do miss the next game. So Arsenal still have a couple of big games. Um, luckily, no one's got to that fifth point. But yesterday, for example, if Talib or Saka had been booked, which at halftime it felt like they wouldn't have to do much to get that, um, then we would have would have missed them for one of these games. So I guess that's another positive from last night that that we're not going to be missing missing one of those players. And I think when you looked at the start of these three games as well, was Saliba on four before all three games? I think or did he get one at West Ham? Quite uh, he he's been on one for a while. Yeah, so you know, for Saliba to get through all three. Somehow not getting yellow for giving away that penalty. Um, yeah. Yeah, in the last yeah, yeah. game. So yeah, maybe a bit fortunate. But but there we go. I mean, to uh, to talk about the power rankings um that we've established, let's chat through a bit of that because that's been impacted by the the three games we've just had and the recent movements last time. Pet saw White go above Martinelli into third place. Mm. I've listened to uh, the boys on Arsenal Vision post-match reaction and Elliot was very negative on White. Uh, the others sort mm. of backed him up. But what, what were your thoughts on White yesterday? Uh, I mean, I thought he was pretty good, to be honest with you, from where mm. I was sitting. Um, I I think that... So, if we think about it tactically, like Newcastle did what Spurs did at the Emirates, where they tried to flatten us out. So we, we saw Zinchenko and White basically hardly invert. Um, and the reason was that Newcastle basically stayed really flat and they weren't actually that narrow. They used the five in midfield to cover the wide spaces so that even if the defence went narrow, there wasn't that much space. Mm. And actually, you know, sometimes Ben White's in a tricky situation, right? Because if he overlaps, it's still three on two and there's less space for Saka. Yeah. In the same way that it was against Spurs, where it was like Perisic, Hoiberg, and Son, and this time it was Dan Byrne, um, whoever uh, Willock and uh, Joel Linton, and so actually the, the the play for Arsenal was inside, and mm. even though that was so congested, um, I, maybe I did expect a bit more intricacy from kind of Party White and Odegaard to try and unlock that side of the the right side. But I do think there's also a part where Zinchenko is just so dominant and you can see players are just constantly looking for him because he progresses the ball better than anyone in our team, right? Mm. And yeah, I thought I thought White was fine. I think he made a couple of really good challenges. Um, I think he never got beaten on the outside. Um, I think he, he did what you could ask him for, but like he's not Trent Alexander-Arnold, right? We, mm. And we know this as Arsenal fans. So I... I think it's very difficult for me to be like, oh, well, he didn't pick the lock and get an assist. I, it's very difficult for me to be critical of him 
yeah. for that when he's a centre back, right? And I think the main reason he's moved up in in these rankings in the algorithm is is Martinelli was third, um, and he had a particularly, from my point of view, not not a particularly strong game, and and White had a stronger game, so he he just edged above him in there. Um, do you agree with that in Martinelli? I think it's really difficult from what we expect from him, considering even this time last year we weren't using him a lot. You know, definitely not as a regular for ninety minutes, and he's just had to play. I think three lots of 90 minutes in a row after not really playing much football in, in the World Cup. So he's been fantastic. That's why he's up there. He's still in fourth in in these rankings. Um, but is this just a case of we need to be able to give him 60 minutes, 30 minutes in some games and we need to to reinforce in the in the transfer market, do you think, Pat? Or do you sense in the stadium? Because I know Martinelli's a bit of a stadium player sometimes because he's he always he brings the energy. He is, and um, I'm surprised. Maybe it's him being tired. Maybe it's instruction. But he went back quite a lot, and I thought there was opportunities to take. I know Trippier did a great job on him, and mm-hmm. they doubled and tripled up. But like, Kieran Trippier is not quick or particularly powerful. Um, and I thought no, but he's frustratingly he is frustratingly good, and <sighs> he's pretty good at one on ones. But like, yeah. we've seen, you know countless fullbacks come to the Emirates and get just roasted by Martinelli, right? And I just didn't think there was ever a point that he really tried to go round him, either like intricately, like down the byline, or like in a kind of a knock it and run situation, yeah. which we've seen him do before. And honestly, I, do, I just do think the front three look gas. I mean, Eddie Nketiah basically looked like he couldn't touch a ball after 60 minutes. Like mm. he, he looked, and I was sitting right behind it, and I you know, sometimes uh, for my for my sins, I was screaming at him like, "Look!" But again, what a change! What can you do? Like, what a change for him? I mean, hasn't started exactly, this season and then exactly. playing ninety minutes for three games, and we, you know, even for top four, I think it's a stretch to ask these players to to be doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, let alone if you think we need to be fighting for the title, so we really yeah. need to do something in the and, market. And honestly, there is an opportunity, right? Because it looks like City aren't going to recruit in January. Mm. And that basically means that they're relying on, in terms of wide options, Grealish, Foden and Mahrez. And then they've got, obviously, Goal Machine and, and Alvarez. And, and Alvarez, I don't qu- quite think, has integrated properly into the City team. And it's not really he can't really play wide, so... I, I do think that we have an opportunity that if we, you know, we get Smith Rowe back and we get another forward, maybe two, who knows, according to the reports, we will look like we have a lot of firepower and, and, and finally Arteta can have um, some more forwards. Because I think people forget, like, Arteta's only ever signed one forward, right? Mm-hmm. And that's Gabriel Jesus. I mean, it's if we don't count, well. don't count Willian, right? And he's uh, developed the forwards we've got Exactly. You know, we always we we all already knew Saka Martinelli had world star potential, but how many players have we seen with huge potential not actually um, come to fruition? Now these players are you know the one and four in in the power rankings currently was one and three in our rankings. They're both World Cup players. Saka a complete star at the World Cup. Martinelli feels like on the edge of of starting for Brazil as well. So mm. he's done you know, deserves a lot of credit for actually bringing that out in them and continuing to develop them and and push them. But we just need to make sure 
we're not overplaying these players now and yeah. we need those numbers in. I mean, and, and look, there's Smith Rose development last, um, last season. Yeah. Ketty has come on leaps and bounds. I mean, mm. we've even got Reese Nelson scoring two premier league goals. Like, uh, it's clearly a coach who can work with forwards and make them better. Right. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that Arteta's done is make us so astute defensively and the midfield system look like it's, looks like it's humming. But honestly, when you see Saka, Martinelli and Jesus doing as well as they can, and then also look at Nketiah and Smith-Rowe and how, how well they've done, it's clear this is a coach that's, that's really good at working with, a talented, with talented attackers. And I think we just need to give him more of them, really. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, definitely. I think that's clear. And uh, another bit of movement on the on the power rankings was Thomas Partey edged up to, to fifth place. He had a, a good game at Brighton. I think he started that attack, didn't he, for the opening goal. Um, I think Erdogan went on a bit of a run, but then Brighton looked like they might break. Partey wins it back, plays it out wide to Martinelli, mm-hmm. falls to Saka. So he's so vitally important and he's managed to stay pretty fit uh, you know had wasn't great at the start of the season missed a couple of games missed the united game had a big impact without him there but you know just played three games in seven days played at the world cup as well every group game so maybe things are looking slightly better from the fitness point of view of parte but given his importance pat there's been a lot of talk about forwards just one question to you if I said to you two forwards or a forward and a and a parte alternative upgrade, so you know an upgrade to El Nene or Le Congo at six, what what would you choose this month? <sighs> I know it depends on the player, but let, let's say they're you if know it's for, like a Douglas Louise. I'm rolling what, the dice and getting two forwards. I think. I think for. You know, for both positions, we're ultimately looking at players who aren't quite, aren't better than Partey, Martinelli, Saka, but are sort of maybe 70% of them that can that can offer alternatives. So let's say it's it's similar quality. So if you're saying Douglas Louise, who obviously we can't get now, but then you might be, I mean, what's the forward equivalent of Douglas Louise? Um, probably a man at Brighton. Wendy, yeah, um, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I guess a bit a big part depends on Smith Rowe. If you knew Smith Rowe was going to come back and be fit for the rest of the season, you'd probably do the midfielder and, and forward. Um, and I guess we don't know exactly the Jesus injury situation. You know, there has been some people speculating it's longer than we thought, some people saying due to due to his makeup, he will, he'll come back even quicker. You know, Xhaka came back in quite a good timeline from that. So we don't have all the info. Um, but personally for me, you know, party's sort of proving his fitness, but I still have a big worry about that if he, if he goes. And um, as much as we need the forwards, 
I'd be tempted to go for, still go for a centre midfielder. Of course, it, only if it's the right player and a player that ideally for that party position, given his age, you want a player that we see the potential to play there long term and succeed him. What, what type of player moment. does that look like, do you think, on the market currently? It's very difficult. And that, that that's the thing, isn't it, on the market currently. Um, we've talked about Danilo from Palmeiras, who, who I think would really struggle to come into this immediately and make an impact. Um, I think he'd be used sort of Fabio, Fabio Vieira style in these six months. So how much does that help? Um you know, we we are starting due to where we are in the league. We're starting to be mentioned in articles that talk about the likes of Rice and Bellingham. So mm-hmm. that does potentially change things because what you don't want to do is get a get a backup who's not capable of improving our starting lineup when Partey sort of drops off his age curve in the next couple of years at the expense of you know that squad space, which we maybe in the summer if we win the league or, you know, even if we come set a solid second, we've got a good case to the likes of Rice and even Bellingham because we're going to be above all the teams that are trying to sign them. Yeah. That's, I, that's I, don't you know, go from. I don't know how people are uh, turning their noses up at Rice. I won't lie. I mean, he's not the best on the ball, but we saw for France, um, against France, sorry, he looked really good on his own there and, um, I think he's a player with the potential to yeah. play that role, for sure. Um, a problem I have with him when I watch him for England is he sometimes seems to almost hide behind players and not take it off the centre-backs. I don't know if that's tactical instructions. Um, well, maybe he's not the player to sort of get it off the centre-backs because it almost seems deliberate that he's he's maybe taking players in. But that's something I notice for England that that frustrates me. But... He's still very young. Arteta and the coaches we really back with improving players. I th- I think he'd be uh, a top addition to this team. You know, adding the fact that he's he's English, there's a lot of Eng- England teammates around him, and a great age. I yeah. think I think Arteta loves that type of player. His attitude as well. Um, he did hug him after the win. Yeah, saw Rice um, talking that's definitely one to one to look at, isn't it? After. Well, it is because they're going to spend all, well, the, all the king's gold on Enzo Fernandez and City don't need a player there. I don't. I mean, United have Casemiro now. I don't think yeah. Liverpool are going to spend that much money on a. That they're they're apparently buying Mateus Nunez from Wolves in the summer, which is really weird. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. He's it's almost been an unwritten rule that he's going to Chelsea, um, but Chelsea look fairly unlikely to come in the top four. As you say, they're looking to spend 100 million on Enzo Fernandez. He plays in the same position. Not that that would stop Todd Bowley these days. I feel like he'd buy uh, 10, 100 million players in the same position, probably. But if they're not in the Champions League, he, you know, he loves West Ham. I don't think he can he can leave West Ham without going to a Champions League club, really. Um, but especially if West Ham finish bottom half, I think he's definitely going to want out this summer. I think this is his last season, it looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah. And as you say, you know, where does he go? And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's conversations happening already to line that up. And that may be why, you know, I just said to you, two forwards or a forward and centre mid. 
all the press is suggesting we're looking at two forwards. We've not heard anything about a centre mid for some time. And maybe that's why. Maybe we've got our eyes on a on a big one in the summer. But, you know, if we want any chance of the title, we're going to be relying on Partey playing every game, which is a big ask given what we know about him so far. But mm. um, look, he's come through the World Cup and three games in seven days. We've got a 12-day break now before Spurs in terms of league games. We've got Oxford at the weekend. How are you... Smith Rowe is apparently starting that as well. Yeah, seen that. How are you lining up for that? Are you making complete changes? I think Oxford are third division, but obviously away from home. Uh, I mean, I think the midfield picks itself, right? Um, Elneny Lekonga, Fabio Vieira. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in defence, you'd presume that Tommy Asin and Tierney come in um, and Sinchenko gets a, uh, a break there. And mm-hmm. then I presume Holding and Turner come in. I don't know who plays the other centre-back role. Maybe that could be a youngster, perhaps, or we'll just play Gabriel until he can't play football anymore. Um, yeah. And then you presume... I think you've got to go, you've got to go Saliba rather than Gabriel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think if you're going to use one... Because Saliba, Saliba could potentially use the minutes, do with the you? sharpness, I think. You could use the minutes. Mm. Um, but I do feel a bit bad for him playing from, with Holding. Actually, I feel bad with anyone holding um you you and i are both aligned and i hate for him um mm. uh i presuming cedric's not going to be there because you know he was dropped out the squad last game and rumors of a move to high-flying fulham yeah. you all told me he was useless he's gonna yeah. go and play for a top seven team yeah apparently yeah. marco silva is drooling at the prospect apparently of his gonna... crosses dimitrovic apparently he might play him right wing so him and willian on either flank <laughs> um, imagine if he imagine if he assists Willian in our oh game against God. him to lose us the title we are playing them away aren't we so that, that would just be really Arsenal um, yeah. and then I think the front three I mean could you argue that Nketiah cannot be risked now uh, or does he need the minutes I could, you could argue either way right could, could it be good for his confidence to, to score another couple it depends what we've got lined up in the transfer market as well if, if we I think you know, it'll be Marquinhos and Ketia in Smithrow, probably. Yeah. Unless he wants to really bring the change. But if we're there. only bringing in, say, Mudric, so we'll talk about that in a minute, because there's been a bit of development on that. But if we're only bringing in a player who plays wide, not as a number nine, then you can't really be risking in, in Ketia in this game, can you? Because no. we, we have who, nothing. Who's next up? Is it Sago Jr.? Is I think Cozy Dubri can play wide attacking mid and as a striker and he's been on the bench one or two times so I feel like he'd probably be trialled there first Cozy Dubry who was on the bench last night there was another another academy kid something like uh, early, uh, is it early Deji? Butler early Deji yeah. yeah so it seems to be is he is the knee, is he a where does he play? He's a midfielder, right? Or a yeah, I think midfielder. he's another one that can play wide, attack a mid striker. But I think he's, I think he's, he's kind twenty. Of, he's twenty. He's of the, he's kind of of the Matt Smith era, right? Mm. Um, who might not? I think it. it well, might he must not have be been Arsenal for. I mean, long, you don't want people to get injured, but he must have been like, Inketia, please pull up," because. 
even then actually he probably puts Martinelli through the middle and yeah, yeah. just just last thing on the game yesterday um what was the feeling in the ground around subs because obviously the only <sighs> only sub we made was Tommy Asu for White um, yeah Ben White made that sliding tackle didn't he and he was like when he was kicking it while he was on the ground, he looked yeah. like he'd looked tired. Not pulled something, but he looked like he'd he was cramping up or just absolutely yeah. shagged. So that made sense. And Tommy Asu, thank God, looked sharp because I was saying after the Brighton game, I was like, lads, I'm really scared about Tommy Asu. Like, what mm. has happened to him? He looks awful. And then he um obviously he made that really nice inception, which was actually offside. Um Yeah. But uh, I mean we don't have a lot of the bench. We you know we have as we said, Butler, are you DG? But we we do have Marquinhos and Fabio Vieira. I just Fabio don't Vi- think I don't think you can put Marquinhos into a game of that magnitude. No, Fabio I looked. Vieira, he's only played one minute in the Premier League as well. So the thing about Fabio Vieira is like, so you're not going to take Saka or Martinelli off, are you not? I mean, I consider. I don't, I don't think you can take Saka off. I really. I, maybe no. you could. Maybe you can put Saka on the left and put uh, Vieira on the right. But like, I just. Or maybe in Ketirov, Martinelli up top. But I, d- I don't know. Like, th- maybe yeah. that would have been the move. I actually thought, and I said to the person that I went with after the game, we the flanks didn't work because we kept coming inside. And actually, when Saka went outside, he looked like he could do something. Mm. I wondered maybe if it was a day to put Saka and just switch them for like the last 15 yeah. minutes. Because, I mean, he got no change out of Trippier. And I think that... Actually, some of the movements that Shaka made in field to to um, to get the ball off uh, Zinchenko, I think if he's passing it to Saka and Saka's taking it into his stride and like just attacking the fullback, I thought maybe that was that was a move to make. But mm. I think I, I had a back and forth with someone about Vieira coming on for Shaka. I just thought that when, if you did that, you make our team way too small at set pieces. Um, you yeah. basically you basically then have you're relying on party Saliba, Gabriel and and, and Tomiyasu basically and it's definitely you know, a fear after what happened at Old Trafford because I think we made that that change, didn't we? Or yeah, yeah, we or did Vieira for La Conga or something. But I I still would have I would have got Vieira on the pitch. Um I don't have all the data and, and everything about them like all the coaches do, but considering we hadn't changed any of that front six and Newcastle sort of figured out what we were trying to do. I would have found a way to get Vieira on that pitch. Mm. Um, you know, I watched all the preseason friendlies. It was kind of his preseason because he missed preseason for us. I thought he looked brilliant in looked for really the most sharp, part, uh, and we haven't really seen him since. And I just would have got him on the pitch. I understand. I think Xhaka for me in the first half was really poor. In the second half, yeah, he was much better, but he still. You know, he's had games where he's looked really sharp in front of goal. If he had one of those games yesterday, he wins us the game. Yeah, because he, the game. he had a couple of moments. They were paying a lot of attention to the Erdegaard Saka right-hand side. And Xhaka, mm. I think part of the reason he looks better in the second half was he was given a lot of space because of the sheer numbers on the other side. So part of me was looking at those situations, thinking Vieira can obviously play in that role. Can he do more damage? You've then got the other side of it with the with the set piece threat that Newcastle have, as you say. So, so I sort of understand, and coupled with what happened at Old Trafford, 
you know, I was slightly scared of losing this game despite our dominance. It felt yeah. like a game they might snatch. And I uh, thought I that think looked really bad. If we'd drawn or lost the Brighton game, we would have thrown the kitchen sink at this. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know Arteta really values three points. We don't draw that many games. Mm. But I do think that maybe he looked at it and said, if we're going to draw to a team at home, it's going to be City or Newcastle that you're going to be okay with, aren't you? Yeah. Um, and weirdly, it felt like the Burnley game at home last season. Do you remember when like, the, te- the players... It's exactly just, what I tweeted the, as the a bit of abuse like, to Newcastle. That, no, no, but genuinely, like... The parallels I drew, drew were team that just didn't want to play football, wasted a low time, took yeah. the time of goal kicks, kicked the crap out of us, and our forwards were tired that day. Do you remember the only chance we had was Smith Rowe in the second half, running down the left and then pulling it back to Lacazette, and he misses that chance. We didn't yeah. have a midfield that day. Obviously, it was quite different, but it just felt like, you know... One but of I hate games... to tell you that also happened in January, and we were saying the same things after the game. At least yeah. that happened in January. We'll yeah, definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. buy it forward. And we yeah, 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 exactly the same. <laughs> so... I guess, I guess, I suppose the difference is this happened on the third of January, and the chance of us yeah. having a, you know, I mean, we saw. I think the other one was twenty third of January. Liverpool bought Gakpo, didn't they? And he he couldn't even play. Yeah. Two days ago, we always knew no one was going to be in for this game. I think when we talked about it before Christmas, we said we've got to get through these three. And then it's about making sure someone's at least on the bench for for Spurs. And well, let's talk about who that could be, thing. right? Yeah, just on Vieira, the last thing. Yeah, I would have found a way for either Enketi or Martinelli. And as you say, they had four people set up for for Saka, so I would have at least in game switched the wingers just to give them something else to think about. Um, so I think we could have done more there. I think Martinelli was really stunted; could just play Vieira in. in Saka's position, move Saka across, or even Vieira and Martinelli's position, or Martinelli through the middle and Vieira left or right. I just think we should have, you know, there's that would be how we could roll the dice without, you know, chucking the kitchen sink in it. I know on Sky Sports, you, you probably didn't see, but they were like, oh man, City would have taken a centre back off in that scenario and put <laughs> Vieira on. Yeah, just, like, just, just, what? What? <laughs> That's yeah. ridiculous. When we literally don't play a left back, you want to take another defender off. It's yeah. just, just crazy. madness. Considering, you know, this isn't I the last think... game of the season and we need three points to win the league, by the way. Like, have people lost their minds? But Neville was in that studio. I don't think he was the one who said it, but he, he heard it. He was the one who criticised our attacking subs against United after we lost the yeah. game. But, but I, I honestly, I. Arteta, like, what can he do really from the bench? I mean, we're talking about like he's got to put Vieira on and change the striker and put Saka on the left and then put Vieira on the right. Like, the only realistic thing he could have done would put Vieira on for Odegaard or or Xhaka. If he put him on for Odegaard, would he have done better than Odegaard? Probably not because that right side was so congested. Can you take Xhaka off when you need to defend those set pieces and they're playing for corners? Probably not. I just, yeah. I feel kind of like... I think Erdegaard and Ketia and, and Jack were all on a yellow as well. So part yeah. of me was like, one of them, can you put Vieira on? And it felt like, you know, they were defending so deep, especially in that second half. It felt like we needed a bit of a wonder strike or... Yeah. Which we saw from Vieira against Brentford or a wonderful little chip into the box like we saw from Vieira against Wolves. I couldn't help but think the... I know they had a lot more men back, but you know the the Wolves goal that um, Vieira sets up Odegaard with that chip across the keeper. Um, 
and that opportunity we had at the end was with Xhaka with a handball. I thought it was a very similar moment. And that's maybe what made me think, yeah, we should have gone for it. But there you go. You know, not the end of the world at all. And, and overall, really positive. Let's chat very quickly about the transfer situation, which by the time this is released, may be completely different, which is why I don't want to talk about it too much. But obviously, we've had two bids for Mikhail Mudrich, who we we talked about quite a few times on here. You know, very clear that Arsenal are extremely interested. Talks that this second bid um, is around 45 million up front with around another 15 million or so in add-ons. It looks like that's been rejected, Pat. It's not been widely reported yet, but there are there is talk that that has been rejected with Shakhtar wanting in excess of 80 million. I mean, I mean, what what do you do here? I mean, you don't do that, do you? No. no. <laughs> like, I mean, it feels a lot like the. Um... I can't believe they're rejecting it, given given uh, yeah. their situation. Honestly, no, like it's pretty crazy, and as much as Arteta must be frustrated, I think it's very easy for Eddie to just be like, "Look, we've bid the best part of sixty million quid, and then sixty-two million or whatever, and they've both been rejected. We've got mm. to look elsewhere." and I think it feels a lot like this Lissandra Martinez saga where we were willing to pay 35 million euros and it got to 60 and you know, you've got to walk away um, at some point and look like this isn't, we're not talking about prime Cristiano Ronaldo, right? We're talking about a player who's played, who looks really good, but has played 30 senior games mm. and you know, as much as we rate Arteta's talent ID and, you know, the more the more and more revisionism we look at it in terms of, you know, he wanted Trippier at one point, didn't he? And he's done really well in the Premier League. And, you know, a few players that Arteta has wanted in the past have, have done quite well. So we think we're quite comfortable with, you know, his ability to spot talent and, and how they'll fare here. Yeah. But realistically, like, I mean, I don't really know how much more they'll... I mean, there's talks of Chelsea get involved. Like, if Chelsea pay 80 million quid, then, you know, go for fucks it. to them, yeah, go for it. I mean, Sterling plays his position, how much they spend on him in the summer, so... 50 million and 350k a week, so... Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to have other people on the list. I know this player divides opinion whenever I talk about him, but Ferran Torres from Barcelona, Arsenal... Fairly reputable source in Spain said that we we had a bid rejected on deadline day or the or the week of the deadline. Barca in a very bad financial situation. He came in on a fairly big contract and apparently they need to sell one of them. He's not a regular for them. Mm. So I could see that one happening for sure, given Arteta's link to the player, previous interest, his availability in this window. Probably at like half the fee that that Shakhtar are going to accept for Madrid as well. And I think people forget about Ferran. He's, he's only 22. I think mm. he turns 23 next month or something. But, you know, what's Madrid? 21? Yeah. I think Madrid turns 21 tomorrow or something when I wrote that. I think he's 21 already. Okay, so he's 22 tomorrow. Yeah. So he's one year younger than Ferran, who everyone's written off as not great. And Madrid is amazing. And he's played 30 games. So it's like, Seeing what Arteta's done with with our young forwards, if if he likes him, having worked with him, and he's a twenty two year old that we can get for half the price of Madrid, that's a deal I would be doing. I know his wages would be 
a lot more, but I don't think they're going to be crazy. I don't, I don't think he's going to ask for anything unreasonable. No. And he's someone who can play centre forward as well, you know, not as an orthodox nine, but he can fill in all three positions. So that deal really makes sense for me. Yeah, even I mean, if we've even been with Asensio before as well, and he looked fairly decent at the World Cup, didn't he? Um, yeah. Not quite sure if that'll be reignited. Ultimately, um, there there is other options. There is. It's it's yeah. not a it's not a January where you're looking at like no one's selling a forward. I know there's not. I mean, there's Marcus Turam. Marcus Turam, six months left. Kolo Muani as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always quite liked Marcus Turam, but I've I've been put off a little bit by kind of attitude stuff. I remember he get he got banned mm. for six games for spitting at someone, didn't he? So maybe that will play into it considering yeah, it how much very physical rates. forward as well that I don't see as you know, given the Modric interests, quite explosive. Yeah, pace. nimble forwards. Yeah. Although Marcus Thuram can move to be fair. Yeah, and he did say there was an interview a couple of months ago saying ideally he'd want a massive option at number nine, like a big guy as an option and he'd want another, you know, different option in different areas. So I'm sure Arteta would want as many options as he can get. But I mean, what about, um, I mean, Matoma at Brighton looks really good, doesn't he? Yeah, um, I really like him, but now he's at Brighton. What's that going to cost? 50 million easy? Yeah. And he was playing, I think someone said he was playing for his university like <laughs> for 18 his uni months three ago. years ago, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, or something like that. It's crazy. And he's 25, so... He is, isn't he? Wow, that is... Yeah. yeah, crazy. There's players out there to be got. And I think, let's face it, you know, we don't want to buy players for the sake of it, but our current backups, it's not hard to improve. When you look, we had a kid on the bench yesterday and and Marquinhos, who we didn't probably see as a first-team option this season. So, yeah, let's get it done. Needs to be in for Spurs. We're going to need game changers. They're going to be parking the bus as well. Yeah. It's been a great start to the new year and back from the World Cup, but there is still work to do. Arsenal are in a title race. Come on, let's get four points in these next For now, games. hopefully, Chelsea can find a performance from somewhere after looking absolutely appalling because they play Manchester City on Thursday. We have been the Fresh Arsenal podcast. It's been great to talk to you again. A reminder to sign up to the newsletter at fresharsenal.substack.com. Have a look at the power rankings for our whole squad and much more tactical insight and best content from around the internet all supplied for free so sign up to that if you haven't subscribed to this podcast already and you're listening this long then i don't know what you're doing subscribe and please give us a, a kind review It'll really help us grow in 2023 which will hopefully be a really positive year for the podcast and for everyone who's listening thank you very much and we'll see you on the next one Podcast Network.